We're going to finish up Hebrews next week, but let's get into Hebrews 12 today, beginning in verse 1. The writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, and He chastens every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. This morning we want to deal with the subject of struggling with sin. Dealing with temptation in life. There's a loud disagreement today over different activities, different behaviors, about what's right and what's wrong. Some people say certain things are, are okay. Some people say certain things are wrong. Take sex outside of marriage, for example. Many people say there's nothing wrong with it. Other people say, no, there is something wrong with it. There's disagreement about what is right and what is wrong. But there is no disagreement today that among everyone, if something is wrong, we shouldn't do it. There's nobody that stands up and says, you know what, it's okay to do what's wrong. Some people will say, okay, certain things are okay to do, they're not wrong. But everyone agrees that wrong things we shouldn't do. Yet, we find ourselves doing them, don't we? We all agree that there are certain things we shouldn't do, and yet time after time after time, we find ourselves doing wrong things. Not honest mistakes, sins. Things that God tells us that we shouldn't be doing. 
But there is an important point that we want to make right off the top, right here at the beginning. We are not saved today because we successfully struggle against sin. Are you with me? We are not saved because we struggle successfully against sin. We are saved, remember, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross for us. He paid for our sins. But we struggle against sin not because we want God to accept us. We struggle against sin because we have been forgiven by God. We don't struggle against sin because we want God to love us more. We struggle against sin because we want to show God how much we love Him. But the lack of struggle today against sin is a serious problem for us. Keep your finger here in Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to turn over to 1 John chapter 3. It's on page 1022. First John chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. John tells us this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. No one who is, is born of God makes a practice of sinning. He doesn't say that if we're born of God, we will never sin, but we don't make a practice of it. We will make the last part there in that second verse, we will make a practice of righteousness rather than a practice of sin. He's very clear. There will be a change in us. Our relationship with Christ will change the way we live. And if our life has not been changed by Christ, then we have to ask ourselves the question, have I really made a commitment to Christ? Have I really been born again? There's a problem if our life doesn't look different than it did before. Paul goes as far as to say that the foundation of God's kingdom has these words written on it. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from sin. On the very foundation of God's kingdom, that's how important this is. If we're going to do better in the battle against sin, though, we must understand that sin is a choice. We live in a world that tells us again and again and again that we can't help ourselves. Addictions, compulsions, urges, sicknesses, you name it. Drug addicts and alcoholics are constantly told that they can't help themselves. This is just who they are. We're told again and again that we have no choice. There's no options. We can't help ourselves. And though this is not true when it comes to addictions and, and uh, compulsions, it's also true when it comes to sin. We can have this same attitude when it comes to sin, though we, oh, I can't help it. And then we say that 
that thing that we all have known. To, oh, I'm only human. We give in to temptation again and again and again. Oh, I'm only human. God knows that. As if that's a built-in excuse to continue to live the way we're living. Why are we not doing that big thing for God? Remember we talked about this last week, how we're to have faith, we're to step out and do something big to expand God's kingdom. Why are we not doing that? Because we're choosing sin instead. I'm not saying that the struggle against sin is not real. It's not hard. It is. Paul even acknowledges this in Romans chapter 7 when he talks about himself and how hard the struggle with sin was for him. And so if Paul had that struggle, we know that we're going to have that too, aren't we? But today we've lost our focus on obedience. We focus so much on the fact that we're saved by grace, we're saved by the work of Jesus on the cross, that we act like it doesn't matter how I live. Because God has already forgiven me, God has already made me His child. But drop down to verse 2 in Hebrews chapter 12. Go back there. We're going to go hit some of these verses as we go through this sermon this morning. He says in verse 2, looking to Jesus. If we're going to battle against sin, the first thing that we need to do is look to Jesus. It's not simply a matter of, of reading your Bible more, praying more. You'll hear people say that. They'll, they'll admit in the church that they're struggling with a certain sin. And people, well, you just need to pray more. You just need to read your Bible more. Do we believe that, that prayer has a part in the battle against sin? Of course we do. Do we believe the Bible is important? Yes, we do. We're going to see that more in a minute. But we've tried those things, haven't we? Just praying by itself is not going to fix the problem. Just reading our Bibles again and again is not going to fix our problem with sin. We need to remember that Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could stay where we are in sin. And we look to Jesus for a number of reasons. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the song says, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Keep your fingers in Romans or in, in uh, Hebrews 12. I'm going to look at two verses quickly in Hebrews chapter 2. This is what we're talking about, looking to Jesus. In Hebrews 2, verse 18. Hebrews 2.18 says, For because Jesus Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. What do we know about Jesus? Jesus was human, but He was also sinless. We look to Jesus because He was tempted, yet without sin. He is our example today because He did it. And He can help us because He can relate to what we're going through because He was tempted too. You ever go through a temptation, a struggle in your life, and you just, oh, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody has any idea. Jesus does. Because He went through temptation as well. The difference is, He went through temptation successfully. He didn't give in to the sin. Now drop down to chapter 4 in Hebrews. Again, looking at Jesus. 
Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus can sympathize with what we're going through. Every temptation that you have ever experienced, Jesus experienced it too. Do you believe that? In every way, he was tempted as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus did it right. He is our example. In Hebrews chapter 1, we're told that Jesus loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. That's why he's such a good example to us. He fought against sin. He fought for righteousness because he loved doing the right thing and he hated the wrong thing. Look to Jesus in this battle against sin. Jesus gave his life to pay for our sins. Is it too much for us to live for him? To choose righteousness over sin for him? Now go back to Hebrews 12. I want to look at a longer section there in the middle of what we read this morning, beginning in verse 5, about the issue of discipline. Did you hear those verses as we read them? Let's read them again. Beginning in verse 5, Hebrews chapter 12. Have you not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline. Think about your life, either as you were disciplined by your parents or how you disciplined your children. Why did you discipline your children? Because you hated them? No. Did you discipline them because they did the right thing? Don't we? We're not going to have that in this house. None of that good stuff here. No. Discipline happens because they did something wrong. And we discipline them, not because we're angry. We may be angry, but that's not why we do it. We discipline them so that we can train them in righteousness. So we can train them to do the right thing and not do the wrong thing. All the writer is saying here is, come on, do the math. If you discipline your children because you love them, how much more does God discipline us because he loves us? This is important that we stop and think about the discipline that we have in our lives because of sin. God's discipline in our lives demonstrates not only that he loves us, but it demonstrates that we're his children. 
Did you have those moments in your home like I did with my girls? Well, they can do this down the street. Right? They always compare your home with somebody else's home. Well, how come they can do it? Because they aren't our kids, are they? Right? If you want that, go live with them. Right? I never said that because I was afraid my kids might take me up on it. (laughs) God's discipline shows that we belong to Him and He cares about us. What would it mean if God just said, do whatever you want? I don't care. God disciplines us so that we might be holy. He's not disciplining us because He's punishing us. He's doing it because He wants us to be righteous. He wants us to live better. That we might avoid sin in the first place. We do not take seriously the issues that we have in our life today that very well might be the discipline of God. How many of you struggle with trusting God when you're going through difficult times? Liars. The rest of you didn't raise your hand, right? We all struggle with that, don't we? When we're going through a difficult time, it's easy to talk about trusting God, but it's difficult to actually trust God. Did you ever stop and think that maybe God is putting you in a situation that causes you to need to lean on Him so that you will lean on Him? We struggle with these things, and God keeps sending these circumstances, these situations into our life, precisely so we will turn to Him. And we'll often ask the question, well, well, why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? It's not about... Discipline always because we do the wrong thing. Discipline is because God wants us to do the better thing, which is to trust Him. And so He puts us in situations that bring us to the end of ourselves. They bring us to the point where we can't do it. And then we turn to God and say, Oh God, I can't do it on my own. Will you help me? And God's like, What have you been waiting for? That's what I want. And it's God's discipline that is bringing about that change in us for our good. Discipline at its heart is God's effort to get us to choose the right thing instead of the wrong thing. God is not punishing us because of what we've done wrong. God is disciplining us so we'll choose the right thing the next time. Now I want to stop and ask you a question. How is God disciplining you in your life right now? What are you going through in your life right now that you're focused on the difficulty, but you're not stopping and saying, what is God trying to teach me through this difficulty? How many times do we run to God and ask God to take away that problem before we ever stop and say, God, why did you allow this problem into my life in the first place? Are you with me? Circumstances don't just happen. God works through circumstances for His glory and for our good. Why would God want to take that circumstance out of our life when He put it in there in the first place to discipline us? To teach us righteousness. To cause us to want to choose what's right over choosing what's wrong. Sin is a choice. And we don't have to keep choosing it. How is God disciplining you 
right now. Did you ever stop and think that God might be kicking you in the butt for a reason? Look at how hard it is to get us to move, to stop doing what we're doing, and to move in the right direction. God's got to have some seriously big boots, doesn't he, with us. Because we need to be kicked pretty hard to get us moving in the right direction. And very often we will stop and ask the question, why? But we won't answer it. Why is this happening to me? Great question. Now why don't you stop and try to find an answer to it? God, what is it that you're trying to teach me through this experience? If we believe that God is in control, if we believe that nothing happens by accident, then there must be a purpose behind what God is allowing us to go through, right? What is it? I'm not going to tell you that it's going to be easy, that it's always going to be right there on the surface, but you know what? There's a lesson there. God wants to use everything that we go through for a reason, for a purpose, to teach us something. Now, as we look at this passage What is some practical advice for dealing with sin? What's some things that we can learn from this passage about the daily struggle, the daily battle with temptation? Now listen, I'm going to tell you right up front. There is no magic bullet. Hey, you do this, temptation's not going to be a problem. There is no magic bullet, there is no magic pill that you can take that's going to deal with sin in your life. It is going to be a battle. It's going to be a struggle until we die. But here are some things that we can learn from this passage that will help us in this daily battle against sin. Number one, look at Jesus. How did Jesus handle temptation in his life? In the Gospels, we're told that Satan came at Jesus one day when he was in the wilderness. Remember, he'd been fasting for 40 days and Jesus was tempted by Satan. Turn the stones into bread. Remember? Bow down and worship Him. How did Jesus face that temptation? In each one of those three examples that were given, Jesus quoted Scripture. Jesus answered the temptation and said, No, this is wrong. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, nope, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. He quoted scripture. The Bible is not a magic bullet, but boy, is it a help. The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. The more we know the Bible, the more we will have ammunition to use in the battle against sin. What's our problem, though? How many of us acknowledge that we don't know the Bible as we should? Right? It's kind of like having a gun for defense and then not knowing how to use it. Right? Somebody's breaking in your house and you're pulling out the gun saying, man, I don't know how to get the safety off of this thing. Okay? We have got the defensive weapon that we need with the Word of God, but we've got to know how to use it. Because at that moment, when we're facing temptation, we can't say to Satan, hold that thought, i got to go look up for a verse. Right? Because Satan's not waiting. The temptation is right there. 
And when Jesus quoted those verses, he didn't pull out his little computer Bible and start doing word searches to find out, right? He was reciting them from memory. Why? Because he had hidden God's word in his heart. He knew it from memory. What about us today? We don't have the strength that we could have against sin because we don't know the Word of God. Let me give you another example from the Word of God. Paul said in Ephesians 6 that we are to put on the armor of God. Remember? That's a great passage to remember when Satan comes after you. To remind yourself that in Christ we can have this armor to cover every part of our body that he's trying to attack. That we can have this strength that we need. But we've got to know these verses. The Bible is a necessary tool in the battle against sin. Second, another thing that we can do when it comes to battling sin is what I call strength training. Well, how do you do that? How do you build up strength in battling against sin? Well, one of them is through resistance training. Now, you can tell by looking at me, I spend a lot of time at the gym, right? Why do you laugh every time I say that? I don't get that. But, but some of the machines that you use, they're, they're pulling on you and you're resisting against them. And that's how you build up strength is by pulling back against what the machine is trying to do. Well, how do we use resistance training when it comes to sin? Well, very simply, resist it. Our problem when it comes to sin is not that we resist and we fail. Our problem is that we're not even resisting at all. Satan says, would you like to do it? And we're like, okay. I'm free. Let's go. There's no resistance on our part. Okay? It's not really that Satan says, would you like to? It's like he says, would you? And we're like, okay. And Satan's like, I haven't even told you what. That doesn't matter. Whatever you want. We're not resisting against what Satan is trying to do. But how are we going to grow stronger in the battle against sin when we're not resisting against it? And so basically, you start by just fighting it. In Christ, you begin to fight against that temptation. And you tell yourself, no, I am not going to do it. And you just keep doing that. And there's a promise in Scripture in James that says when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. It does not say when you resist strongly enough. It just says resist him. And when we resist against what Satan is doing, it works. How are we ever going to build up to that 50-pound weight if we don't start with the 1-pound weight or the 5-pound weight? We've got to start at some level and stand up to Him. And as we begin to fight back, we will get stronger in fighting back. Now, I like to tell the story. One of our guys that's in Pathway right now, I don't, I don't want to embarrass him, but his name's Kevin. And I teach the guys, very, I tell them, listen, when you begin to struggle with temptations to, to use drugs or alcohol, call somebody. It's not magic, but call somebody. And so he called me one day. He was in an area that, you know, the, the, the mind started working. And, and so he called me up. And he didn't get me. He got my voicemail. 
I was in a meeting. I was in a Bible study. I got out of the Bible study. I saw I had a message from him. I called him. Kevin, what's up? Oh, I was struggling. But the, 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 the temptation's gone now. Man, my, my ego just went, Phew. he didn't even talk to me. I'm telling you, right? He didn't need to. Just picking up the phone and calling me was resistance, was doing something different. It wasn't some magic words from me that encouraged him. It was him telling Satan, I don't want to do this. And when he picked up the phone and called me and did get me, it didn't matter. He'd already resisted Satan. And Satan said, well, I better go someplace else because this isn't working. Our problem in resisting sin is not that we're not resisting enough. It's that we're not resisting at all. Half the time, Satan doesn't even have to come and tempt us because we want to do it on our own. He doesn't need to. We're doing exactly what we want. We're doing exactly what we choose. We are not having more victory in our lives today simply because we're not resisting. Now look at verse 1. Hebrews 12. The writer says, lay aside every weight. You see that? Would you ever try to run a race... With weights in your pocket. Understand, he says, as you run this race, lay aside every weight. Do you use weights as a runner? Sure. When you're in training. Not on race day. Right? It's important that when you're actually running, when you're actually in the competition, that you get rid of everything that's going to slow you down. I've got a friend, he pastors in St. Clair Shores, and he's into the Ironman competition now. And I was talking to him recently as we were traveling to a meeting, and he was telling me that he does that that Ironman, they do three different events, the running, the swimming. I mean, it's crazy. The biking. He says that on the biking part, he said that people in the race will often strap water bottles to their bike because they need to you know, make sure they, they stay hydrated. He said, but they don't stop and th think that when they got four, five, six of those water bottles on there, that's weight. That's an extra eight, ten pounds of weight over you know, many miles that you're riding this bike. And it seems like a good idea to have water, but it's additional weight that's going to slow you down. The writer says, in this race, we need to get rid of every weight. Look at that key word there. Every weight. Every sin that's slowing us down. Lay aside that weight that's holding you back. We are letting too many, listen to me, little sins go in our lives. Oh, oh that's just a little sin. Compared to some of the big sins I do, that's just a little one. And so we let these little sins begin to accumulate. Let me ask you how much a hundred pound bag weighs with a bunch of little rocks? It's not a trick question. 
<laughs> How much does a hundred pound bag weigh with a lot of little rocks? And as you're dragging it around, you're like, yeah, but they're just little rocks. It's not one big one. No, a hundred pounds of little rocks is a hundred pounds of little rocks. And we're letting these little sins go in our lives and we wonder, why am I not being successful in the battle against sin? Because you're not laying aside these weights. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, make straight paths for your feet. In other words, clear your path for some smooth running. Get rid of every weight, but also understand you can't run as fast on a rocky surface, on an uneven surface, so make it flat. Make it level. Clear it out. For example, if you can't handle the temptation of not looking at your phone while the preacher's preaching, don't bring your phone into church. That's how you make the path clear. You don't sit there in church and say, I shouldn't look at my phone, I shouldn't look at my phone. Right? Because even if you don't look at your phone, what are you doing? Thinking about your phone instead of listening to the sermon. And you walk out of church and say, yep, I didn't listen to, look at my phone once. What was the sermon about? I don't know, but I didn't look at my phone. <laughs> you got to clear the path so that you're not sinning. Now this is where it's going to get tough, folks. If we're going to clear the path to get rid of some of the sin in our life that we need to, we're going to have to let go of some people. We're going to have to let go of some activities. We're going to have to let go of some places. Because we go to the wrong places, we hang with the wrong people doing the wrong things, and we wonder, I don't understand why I'm not getting better. Why am I not living a more righteous life? Well, look who you're hanging with. What are we supposed to do? We've got to get rid of these weights. We've got to clear the path. We've got to make it easier to do what's right than it is to do what's wrong. But when you surround yourself with people who don't love the Lord, when you surround yourself with people who aren't living for Christ, don't be surprised if they're not encouraging you to live for Christ. We say we want to get better in this battle against sin, but then we keep all these things in our lives that keep tripping us up. And then we say, oh, I, just, I want to do better, I really do. No, you don't. If you're serious about running the race of faith, you're willing to get rid of everything. Swimmers, did you know this? When swimmers are in competition mode, they'll shave their arms. Because that hair might slow you down. That's some serious swimming. Right? They don't want anything that's going to put any drag in their life. Look at your life today. What are you surrounding yourself with? Who's in your life? What things are you doing that are only making it more likely that you're going to sin and less likely that you're going to do righteousness? It's not rocket science. But some of this stuff, it's very practical that if we begin to do it, we will see success. We will live a better life for Christ. Now, verse 1 again. He says, run this race with endurance. 
What does that mean? He doesn't say run. He says run with endurance. I can run. I can. I can run really, really fast. Honestly, it's true. Might be only 15 feet, but I can do it. Right? Because after about 15 feet, I'm like, hold on. (laughs) Give me a minute. Running the race of faith is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And I don't care how well you ran the race yesterday, today starts all over again, doesn't it? Because this battle against sin is a daily struggle. When you're running a marathon, you're focused only on running the marathon. Because if you're not focused on enduring and continuing, it won't work. The writer's saying, keep running. I made the mistake a couple of weeks ago of getting my car washed. About two days later, I walked out and I looked at my car and I'm like, why did I bother? My car, when I got out of the car wash, I'm like, oh, this car is so clean. And then a few days later, I'm like, if I were to tell somebody I got my car wash, they'd say, no, you didn't. <laughs> and who's going to believe it? What's the point? We just get dirty again. It just gets... But in the battle against sin, we can run that same danger. What's the point? I got all cleaned up yesterday, now I'm dirty again. So we don't even bother trying to get clean anymore. No, the battle is worth fighting. The race is worth running. I don't care how dirty you got yesterday, get up and get clean and start over again today. Keep fighting. Keep running. Because when we give up, we lose. When we give up, we're guaranteed to never live the righteous life that Christ wants. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Jesus didn't keep running because it was easy. He kept running when it was hard because of the joy that was before Him to glorify God and to be on the cross and say, it is finished. Had He quit, had He run a good race up to that point and then stopped, He would have said what? Almost made it. Lived 33 years, but then pulled up short. No, the joy that was set before Him was the ability to say, I finished the race. I did it. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. But let's end on a positive note. I don't want you to be discouraged today. I don't want you to feel like, oh man, I'm I'm not doing it. Two things. Hope. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10.13, he said, there is no temptation that has taken us that is not common to man, but that God will also give us a way of escape. God will help us to bear up under that temptation. There is hope today. We can choose to do the right thing. Jesus lived a righteous life, and so can we. Hebrews 12.1 starts with this great cloud of witnesses. These people, remember in chapter 11, that did it right, the faithful ones there, 
they are standing as testimony that we can do better. Jesus is our example. They are our example today. You can be successful too. Stop telling yourself that you can't do it. That is a lie that Satan wants us to buy into. We can be successful in the battle against sin. Tell yourself that you can be victorious through Christ. Not only do we have hope, but today we also have grace. Because I'm going to tell you today, no matter how hard you try, you're going to screw up. We we do, even when we do what Paul said in Romans 7. He said, that which I don't want to do, I do. That which I don't want to... He said, I know I should do these things, and I don't. We struggle with these things. Even when we do well, we're going to, we're going to screw up at times. And the good news today is, not only do we have hope that we can do better, we have grace when we screw up. Amen? That's what keeps us going today, is that I don't have to be perfect. I want to strive for perfection for Christ, but I don't have to be perfect. There is grace. And you know why God offers grace? Do you know why God offers grace? Because we need it. And God wants us to take that grace. And you might be here today saying, Preacher, I have screwed up bad. I have not lived my life the way that I know I should. I've made some horrible choices. You know what? We can all relate to that, can't we? But there is grace. There is forgiveness. And we don't have to do it perfect for God to accept us. There is hope and there is grace. We can draw draw close to the throne of God because of what Jesus has done for us to receive that mercy that we need. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and to bow your head for just a moment. No one looking around. Look at your life today and how you've been living. Have you been continuing in sin, knowing that it's wrong? Continuing to to give in to temptation? Not even struggling against sin. There's a word of hope for you today that you can do better. There's a word of grace for you today that God will forgive you of that sin and help you to do better. But you've got to be willing to choose it. God's not going to force it on us. We have to exercise that choice. Today we're going to have a formal invitation, an opportunity for you to respond. The altar's open. Some of you need to come and just fall down before God and say, God, I need your help. I've not been battling against sin the way that I should. Some of you are here today and you've never committed your life to Christ. You've never prayed to receive Him as your Lord and Savior and said, I want to be baptized. I want to follow Him from this point forward. You can do that today. We're going to sing an invitation. It's going to be turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand and sing with me right now.